Welcome to New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. scripture this morning comes from Acts, the 17th chapter. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas off to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. These Jews were more receptive than those in Thessalonica, for they welcomed the message very eagerly and examined the scriptures every day to see whether these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed, including not a few Greek women and men of high standing. The word of the Lord. Well, how many of you have actually won an argument? I mean, recently, when's the last time you've actually won an argument? And I mean, not like this, like you, you have this debate, you have this argument, then you go home and you think through your talking points and you think, well, I definitely had, had better talking points than that person. Not like that type where you think you won, but you didn't really win. I'm talking about a real actual win, right? You talk to somebody and they change their heart and mind. Now I know the reality is it doesn't happen a lot because people don't really change too much. And it's really hard for people to, in one conversation, change their philosophical or ideological views, right? This is a a challenging, challenging thing. But for some of you, we try anyways, right? We try, we try to help people understand life differently. And one of those spaces where we try to accomplish this goal is on Facebook, Right, We get on there and we post a video or we post a statement or maybe someone else posts a political statement or, or some sort of phrase or video and we make the mistake of commenting on it, right? don't we? We maybe say something to the affirmative or we say something against it and all of a sudden someone comments on our comment and then we comment on their comment and it goes back and forth and we think we're going to change their mind, right? We think we're going to change their heart. And before long... We have been at this battle for three to four hours having this debate back and forth about how we view the world and how they view the world and how they should view it like we view the world, right? And it never really actually resolves. In fact, the person who thinks they've won is the person who has more time on their hands, right? Because they just stay online for long enough to write the last comment. You don't respond. And so therefore they think they went home and they think they won. But most of the time, unfortunately, people don't really change their minds in venues like that. Now, there's a lot of spaces, a lot of places where we have conversations like this. And one of the places where if you're married, you know this happens quite a bit. Because you're talking about two people who have to get on the same page on a lot, a lot of things. Like how to spend their money, how to spend their time, what TV shows to watch, what movies to watch, where to go on vacation. So there's a lot of conversations like this. You might call them arguments. I like to call them conversations. It sounds nicer, right? But you're having this debate about where you should go, what you should do, how you should spend your resources, things like that. And you're trying to get that person on the same page. Now, most of the time in marriage, what happens is you either compromise or one person just kind of gets tired and gives up, right? Says, fine, whatever you want to do, I'm just sick of talking about this. 
Well, this past week, my wife and I went on vacation. Now, this isn't to say that I won the vacation conversation where we're going. It's to actually talk about what happened on the vacation. So we went down to New Mexico for vacation. Well, it was actually a wedding, so as much of a vacation as as that is, I guess. But we had to travel, and we had a lot of time in the car. So about 20 hours down in the minivan, 20 hours back in the minivan, there was a lot of time for discussion. And so as we were talking about something, I don't remember what, my wife just kind of stops the conversation, and she says this to me, you are such a blue which to me meant about as much as it probably means to you, right? What in the world does that mean? I said, what does that mean, right? What does being a blue mean? And she said, well, in my mom's group at New Life, we're studying personalities and you are a blue. And I was like, okay, what does that personality type look like? And she said, well, a a person like you is very detail-oriented, deep thinker, thought out. And so that means it's very frustrating to get an argument with you. Because before you step into an argument, you've read a book, read an article, and thought about it. And so typically, unfortunately, you are right. Now, I've never heard those words in seven years of my marriage, the you are right part. And if you're married, you probably haven't either, right? It's just one of those things. But I have to say, of all the great things that happened on my trip, that was the pinnacle moment of my entire trip. I felt like every argument, every conversation that we had had was justified in my favor, right, over the course of our seven years of marriage. Well, today we're going to continue our summer sermon series called Everyday Evangelism, and we're actually going to step into an argument. We're going to, once again, re-engage with the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary the world has ever seen, and we're actually going to see him argue with people. But unlike us and most of our, our daily lives, he's actually going to win the argument, He's going to change the hearts and lives of the people that he cares desperately about. And we see this story in Acts 17. This is what it says. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas off to Berea. So we run into our characters today. It's the apostle Paul and Silas. And if you don't know the backstory, Paul has a very interesting life. Paul was an enemy of Christianity He has this very real encounter with Christ, and he actually switches teams. He's convinced that Jesus is who he said he was, and he becomes this great apostle, this great messenger for Jesus. And Paul's so interesting because Paul is one of those guys who's hyper-focused. And so Paul was the greatest missionary because he took every opportunity in his life to share the good news of Jesus. Every conversation, every moment, he was thinking, how do I bring Christ into this space and into this moment? And because of that, he had an amazing, amazing, amazing impact in the world. In fact, us meeting here today is a direct correlation to Paul's ministry back in this day. It's amazing. Well, as he taught and as he he did what he did, he brought on coworkers. And one of these guys was Silas. Silas was a coworker. Paul was kind of mentoring him to prepare him to become a great missionary himself. And so they went around the world and they spread the good news. But as we step into this piece of history we see that something very odd is happening. Paul and Silas are going to a city. It's not that they're going to a city that's odd. It's when they're going to the city. They're going in the middle of the night. So they're traveling 45 miles to the city in the middle of the night. Now remember, they don't have cars, right? They don't have headlights. They have the sun and the moon and the stars. This is their option. So they're going to travel this great distance by foot or maybe on an animal at best, 45 miles in the middle of the night. And in that day, this would be very, very, very 
dangerous because you could get lost. Crime happens in the night, right? People could rob you and beat you and all this stuff. So we get kind of the sense that what Paul is running from is way more scary than what he's running through. Well, this is what happens. And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. So Paul and Silas, they make it safely. They arrive in Berea and they do what Paul does, which Paul always went to the Jewish synagogue. And the synagogue was simply a house of worship, right? Think of it as a community church for Jewish people. Wherever there was 10 families, they would start a synagogue. So 10 Jewish families would launch and support the synagogue. They had a ruler of the synagogue and his job was to make sure the scriptures were read, that a teacher would come in and explain the scriptures and the people were praying. That was his role. When Paul would go into a city, he would meet the ruler of the synagogue and he would get permission to teach. And Paul had great name recognition. Everyone knew that Paul was incredibly wise, incredibly educated. He was a great communicator. And so he didn't have much of a problem getting an opportunity to read the word and explain the word to people. That's what he did. That was his niche. And I love this about Paul because Paul used the reality that God had placed him in, right? He used his gifts and talents and his place of influence as best he could for the gospel. And really, this is something that we should internalize as well. Because every one of us has unique gifts and skills. We all have unique neighbors and coworkers and family members and friends that we influence that no one else could really influence like we could. And that's what Paul is doing. He goes to the place where he's going to have the most impact, which is the synagogue where he showed up. Now, another layer of the story is important. You see, when Paul walked into the synagogue, he knew that it was going to more than likely turn into a debate. It was going to turn into a fight. Because he was going to share truth that these people didn't know yet. And whenever you share new truth to people that don't quite know it yet, there's always a little bit of a rub. Right? There's always a little bit of friction. And so Paul knew going into this that this was going to be difficult. He was going to explore the scriptures and find all the truth of the scriptures. And these people were going to see things that they had never seen before. And automatically it was going to make them doubt. Well, this is what happens next in the story. Now, these Jews were more receptive than those in Thessalonica. So we see right away this idea that we know where Paul came from, right? So he's in Berea right now, and we know that he was in Thessalonica, which, like I said before, was a 45-minute journey. And then we get the understatement of the year. The writer says they're more receptive. So they're actually listening. See, this is what happened before. When he was in Thessalonica, he did what Paul did, right? He went to synagogue, he read the scripture, he explained the scripture, he connected all the dots of the Old Testament and showed people that the whole Old Testament was pointing towards Christ. And he told them the story of Christ, what Christ did on the cross for their sins and and all these things. But those people didn't like the message. And they got really, 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 really worked up. In fact, they formed a mob And they were ready to do whatever they had to do to stop Paul and Silas. And so they end up going to this guy's house. His name was Jason. And this is the house where they thought Paul and Silas were staying. And so they began beating on the door and pounding on the door. And they drag the owner of the house out. And they take him in front of the rulers, which were Rome. Because Roman people ruled everything in that day. And so they bring Jason to the Roman Empire. And they say, hey. You got to do something about this guy. He's bringing these guys like Paul and Silas. They're creating a stir. It's creating conflict. You got to tell him to not ever do this again. And that's what Rome does. 
Rome says to Jason, here's the deal. If you bring people in like this again, if you create a stir again, we're going to take all of your property and all of your housing and all of your money. We're going to take all of your assets from you. And Jason says, okay, I get it. And so he sends Paul and Silas on their way into the middle of the night. They sneak out. Now, here's what's interesting. After this story takes place, after this piece of history takes place, these people from Thessalonica are still on a mission. In fact, they show up in Berea and chase Paul and Silas out of this town too. I mean, they are just so agitated by what Paul has to say that they chase them all around the world trying to stop them from sharing their message. Well, this is what transpires next. For these people welcome the message very eagerly and examine the scriptures every day to see whether these things were so. So we get a little taste of what these people were like, the Bereans were like. It says, first of all, they welcome the message. And honestly, who wouldn't welcome the message of Jesus? I mean, just at face value, isn't this an amazing, amazing piece of truth? Isn't it really good news? I mean, this idea that there's a God who loves you and this God is personal. He sent his son, right? God in flesh to live among us, to join us in life, to experience what we experience. And he taught and helped people and did miracles. And then he went to the cross for the sole purpose of paying for all of our shortcomings, all of our failures, all of our sins. And it didn't end there. He rose from the dead. And he rose from the dead to prove to everyone in that area and all of us that what he said and what he taught and who he was was truly who he was, right? He was really a God in the flesh. And because we have faith in Christ, because we have a belief in Christ, we actually can spend eternity with Christ because our sins are forgiven. We can live in a place where there's perfection. I mean, that's amazing news. Who wouldn't want to hear that news? But the rub is, is it true? And this is the struggle that these people are having. Of course, it's good news, but is it actually true? And so for these people, they dove into the scripture because they already had a belief that the scripture was God's word. And so they dove into scripture. Well, in our modern day, that doesn't really work so well. Because in our modern day, if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe in the Bible. And so you can't use the Bible as a proof text to prove that Jesus was who he said he was. But we have actually something I think is even better. You see, as you look into history and you talk to historians, there's no good historian that says that Jesus didn't exist. That's not the conversation that people are having. They're not wondering if Jesus is a historical person. They're wondering who was Jesus when he existed. Some will say he, he was a good teacher, right? He, he taught some good moral truths, some good ethical truths, and people use them, and it's, it's worked well in society. Some people think he was a lunatic, right? You know who claims they're God? Obviously, he must be a lunatic. Or there's the other camp, right? The camp that we are as Christians, that we believe that it's actually true, that he's actually Lord, that God actually loved us so much that he showed up in flesh, walked among us, and cared for us. You see, as we back away from that story and we see that Jesus is actually a historical person, we wonder, who was he actually? I think the best place to go, the best proof text that we have, is to look at the people who interacted with Christ. And we look at the disciples. And we look at guys like the Apostle Paul who joined that group later on. And we look at their lives and we look at the results of their lives after they experienced Jesus. You see, these disciples, they had this crazy notion 
that their teacher, Jesus, was perfect. Now, I don't know about you, but it doesn't take me more than about 10 seconds to realize that you guys aren't perfect. And it probably takes you about two seconds to realize that I'm not perfect, right? You spend any time with anyone, anywhere, you're going to realize really quick that they have some shortcomings. But these guys spent three years, every second of their life with Jesus, and they believe that he was perfect. They heard him teach. They watched him do miracles. They watched him die, and they thought this faith, this story was dead, but then he showed back up. And he proved to them that he was who he said he was, and it changed these guys' life. And they spent the rest of their life traveling the world, sharing this story. And one by one by one by one, they were all killed off because of this truth that they were proclaiming, because people didn't like what they had to say. And none of them recanted. Eleven of these guys, including the Apostle Paul, died because of their faith. And the last guy, John, he died of old age, exiled in prison on an island because people were just sick of hearing him talk. Amazing proof. You see, when 12 guys experienced Jesus and experienced all that happened in Christ's life and were thoroughly convinced to the point of death, it's a huge proof text to us that Jesus was actually who he said he was. But for these people, they didn't need that. In fact, that was yet to come in their historical storyline. But they had the scriptures and they trusted the scriptures. And so when Paul taught and talked about Jesus, they looked in the Old Testament, the scripture that they had available to them, and they began to look. Does the storyline point towards a central figure who's going to do something? Yes, it does. Do all the prophets predict all these amazing, minute, little details about Jesus? Yes, they do. And they are convinced. You see, I love these guys. I, lo- I love this group of people. These Jews in this synagogue, these Bereans. They're amazing people. And they're amazing people because they did great work. They were open-minded enough to listen. But then they did the diligence to read through Scripture to see if it was actually true. And for all of us, we should be challenged by this, shouldn't we? We shouldn't just blindly listen to our pastor or that guy on TV or that podcast. Or we shouldn't just read a book and just accept it as truth. We should read these things and digest these things and think about these things, but we should also compare it to Scripture. We should always see if it actually lines up with God's eternal truth. In fact, if you've been in a Lutheran church for a while, our whole service setup is around this truth. Right, we start off when we read the scripture. We read the eternal truth of God, and then we have this conversation called a sermon. Typically, I start off with a, a story to kind of whet your appetite and draw you in and get you interested. And then I go through the story of, of Christ, the story of his followers, the story of biblical history. And we look at all the truth that God has for us. Then at the end, we apply it, right? Because we want to use it on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And so we have this application piece. But then after that, we do the creed, which is a, a simple, concise statement of what we believe and what the church has always believed. And so actually in our service, you have this bookends of truth that comes as a check and balance system of the sermon. We read the scripture and then we do the creed. And if anything that I teach or Pastor Eric teaches or anyone else teaches, if it conflicts with the scripture or conflicts with the creed, it should raise a red flag. So these guys were diligent in that. They weren't just going to listen to Paul because he's a great communicator, or that people knew Paul, right? He was very wise. 
They actually listened and they studied. They listened and they compared. And they listened and they heard actual truth, even though it went counter to what they thought to be true. And here was the result. Many of them, therefore, believed, including not a few Greek women and men of high standing. So Paul shares the truth. These people are humble enough to listen, humble enough to maybe question if maybe they've been wrong all along. They study the scriptures, and as a result, the scripture points them to the truth. And they believe in Jesus. But it's not just them. There's some Greek people too, some educated Greek people who apparently were very curious about this. And they step into the conversation. They do the same thing, and they're all converted as well. So we have all these new believers. And this is what I love about new believers. Not that they just have their ticket punched to heaven, which of course is true. That's the promise we're given in scripture. But this is what I love about new believers. Every new believer, every believer is a new missionary. And they all have their unique space and their unique place of influence. They have friends that you don't have. They have coworkers that you don't have. They have neighbors that you don't have. They have family members that you don't have. And so God continues to spread his kingdom one by one by one to the everyday interactions that we have. So this is what we see in Paul and Silas' story today. This is what we see in God's word. Here's the eternal truth. Here's the patterns that we see in the book of Acts. We see that we are called to point people to God's word. See, Paul was the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. That can be very intimidating. To compare ourselves to Paul seems like an insurmountable, insurmountable mountain. But the truth is what he did was actually very simple, wasn't it? He went to synagogue. He read the scripture. He pointed to the reality of Jesus in that scripture. And then people saw the truth or rejected the truth. That's what he did time and time and time again. He interacted with people who knew a little bit about scripture, but didn't know the whole story. Isn't that a lot like the world that we live in, especially in the United States? I mean, most of the people that you interact with, they probably have a Bible on their shelf somewhere, might have more dust on it than it should, but someone gave it to them somewhere along the way, or maybe they stole it from the Holiday Inn. I have no idea what all transpired, but they probably have a Bible. They've probably been to church at some point in time. They probably understand the idea of Christmas and Easter, and they get kind of those major holidays. They probably even understand the, the kind of broad scoping story of Jesus if you ask them. But the problem is they don't know the whole truth, or at least they don't know the power of the truth. And as we've been going through this series, you've probably been thinking of somebody like that, haven't you? You've been thinking of somebody who stepped away from church. Maybe something bad happened or they had a tragedy and they had to distance themselves from God and they walked away. They walked out of the church building never to return again. And you've been concerned about them because they're your neighbor, they're your friend, they're your family member. Maybe they were baptized here. Maybe they're baptized somewhere and there was promises made and maybe those promises weren't kept. Maybe the parents didn't prioritize church as much as they probably should have. And so the kids saw that if my parents don't prioritize it, why should I? Or maybe they did. Maybe they brought their kids faithfully to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. But honestly, as you look back, the pastor wasn't really teaching the whole truth, right? The whole story. And because it didn't impact you, it didn't impact them on Monday, they stopped showing up on Sunday. You see, as a church, especially in New Life, we know. 
we know that's not the whole story. We know there's so much more. See, if Jesus was just here to save us for eternity, he would have shown up on the cross and then went away. But he did so much more than that. He walked among us. He lived. He laughed. He loved. And he taught. And he taught about things even more so than eternity. He talked about everyday life. He talked about marriages and and finances and, and interpersonal relationships and work. He talked about all sorts of things, all sorts of truth. See, Jesus wanted to bring transformation to our everyday life as well. Our Monday, our Tuesday, our Wednesday, our Thursday, our Friday. And for some of you, you've caught on to that, right? You've seen the truth, you've applied it, you've seen the benefit. And I think for a lot of the people that we're thinking about, a lot of the people that we're concerned about, this is where they connect. They connect when we point them to God's truth about the everyday things of life. And when they realize that God has something to say about their Monday, that's actually going to bring them transformation on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I bet you they show up on Sunday. And when you show up on Sunday, and you begin to play out God's truth in every facet of your life, God takes care of, God takes care of eternity along with that. So here's our, our job this week. Here's our job throughout our life. There's so many ways to share our faith, but this is one of them. A simple way, like Paul utilized, is point people to the truth. The truth that God has for everyday issues in our life. And when we see that God knows something about those things, we'll understand very clearly that God knows a whole lot about the rest of the story, too. Oh, 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 oh,